It's so good to be with you this morning. Thank you, um, Frosty and Darcy. You guys are awesome. And, and I did just want to um, mention Mark and Cindy, uh, Darcy's parents who are with us. And Dolores, I didn't meet you yet, but I heard you're amazing. It's true. Your reputation has preceded you. And I'm, I'm sure Pastor Steve was here last week, and I'm sure he said some things. But I just wanted to say, um, my, my parents uh, sewed a daughter to London for a season, and it was so difficult having her halfway around the world, and she came back eventually. But I did just want to say to you, um, thank you so much for the deposit of your daughter in our church. We absolutely adore her. We love her intelligence, we love her wisdom, we love her kindness, we love her compassion, we love how thoughtful she is, we love how strong and persevering she is. She is a rich, rich deposit to our church, and I just wanted to acknowledge, because I understood that you guys paid a price for that, and I just wanted you to know how deeply we treasure having her in our church, and just thank you, thank you immensely so much. You can give it up um, for Cindy and Mark and Dolores. Such a privilege uh, to be with you this morning. One of the things that I get to do is I'm part of the Elam Leadership uh, College, and I just wanted to take a moment to promote the college because Frosty told me I could, so here we go. Uh, <laughs> but I just wanted to say, listen, if you're wondering what to do next year, and you've always wanted to experience more of God, develop your relationship with God, learn about the Bible more, if you want to grow in your leadership ability, anything like that, then I really would invite you to prayerfully consider uh, Elam Leadership College. I say prayerfully consider because I don't think it's the sort of decision that you make emotively. You make it because the Lord tells you to. Um, so if you want to be part of that in any respect, an internship where you serve in the life of the church, or even more, if you're in the room and you've always had it in your heart to go to Bible college, but it's been too much of an ask, the full-time course, you don't really have time for it. I really want to encourage you. We, we created the level three course for people like that. If you're a parent or if you work a full-time job or you're involved in something, you don't have capacity to do the full-time thing, but you've always had it in your heart to go to Bible college, can I really encourage you to, to, to look at the level three? It's a part-time course. It's 10 hours a week. It's at night, so you can work a job around it, but really prayerfully consider if that's your next step. Is that all right, everyone? Good. Okay. Well, I'll just get to the message then. Thank you for tolerating my notices this morning, but let me just pray first and then we'll get into it. Father, I thank you for these amazing people. I thank you that you love them. I thank you that they're yours. And this morning we come boldly into your presence and we want to hear the voice of the Lord. We want to hear from you. God, we want to be transformed. Lord, we want to be changed into your likeness. We want to meet with you. We want to see you. We want to become creatures, oh God, who glorify your name in spirit and in truth. And so I pray that you would help us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. I'm going to preach on the biblical theme of the tree of life this morning. Okay, the word proximity can be defined as nearness in time, in space, or relationship. And in life, proximity matters. You know that in life, proximity matters because the further away you get from your Wi-Fi modem, the weaker the connection becomes. When it comes to your internet, proximity matters. When you go on a holiday, proximity matters. The better accommodation is the one that nearer to the attractions that you want to go to. When you go on holiday, your proximity matters. When you go to a concert, 
proximity matters. The closer you are to the stage, the closer you get to Beyonce. Come on, so I know someone who genuinely touched Beyonce. They were that close. That's a weird claim to fame, isn't it? I touched Beyonce, you know. But in concert going, proximity matters. In your relationships, one to another, have you noticed proximity matters? When you get a little bit of a distance from a friend, sometimes you begin to misunderstand them, misunderstand their behavior, sometimes misunderstand their words. Why? Because in life, proximity matters. Nearness, closeness, and space, and time matters. And you better believe that when it comes to your relationship with God, proximity matters as well. And actually, proximity, closeness to God, is what this uh, picture of the tree of life is all about. You see, you might not have noticed, but in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 2, when God is setting up His world, He gives us a little bit of topography, which I've heard is a geography term, but I'm not sure because I'm bad at geography. I once got lost at Auckland Airport. One wonders how, you know. (laughs) The Genesis gives us a little bit of topography. He lets us know about the lay of the land. And this is what it tells us in Genesis 2 verse 8 to 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What's happening here is that God is setting out three tiers of what we would call sacred space. You've got Eden, you've got the Garden of Eden, and then you've got the middle of the garden. The Garden of Eden is on top of a mountain or a high place. We know that because a river flows from it and it waters the earth with its abundance. What's interesting is that when God gives plans then for the temple and the tabernacle, which is later in Exodus and then moving on with the kings, when he gives plans for the temple and the tabernacle, he mirrors these three tiers of sacred space. And actually throughout the temple and the tabernacle is allusions to the Garden of Eden imagery. You see, in the temple and the tabernacle, you found the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And what that was meant to represent was just like in the Garden of Eden, how there was was Eden, there was the Garden of Eden, and then there was the middle of the garden. What that is telling us is that it's like Eden is the outer courts, the garden of Eden is the holy place, and the middle of the garden is the holy of holies. This was where the presence of God in the temple and the tabernacle, this was where the ark of the covenant, the presence of God was held. And you might be like, Haley, this is an awful lot of background information and it's only 9am, but I'm telling you it for a reason. It's because in the middle of the garden, the most holy place, that is where God put the tree of life. What is fascinating about these three tiers of sacred space is that in the Garden of Eden, even before humanity was corrupted and tainted by sin, even before we fell, proximity mattered to God, right? There was an outer court, there was a holy place, and there was a most holy place. And in that most holy place was the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Two trees, have you noticed that? One of them gets more airtime because it was a bad one than the other, right? The The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the one that we weren't supposed to eat from. But the tree of life, actually God instructs Adam and Eve to eat from. Check it out in Genesis 2, 15 to 17. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
Now, the reason that Adam and Eve needed to eat from the tree of life was because even before the fall, even when they were out without sin and without corruption, they were not eternal right? They were not immortal. They didn't have eternity sown into their DNA the way the nature of God does. And so man's ability to live forever, man's ability to enter eternity, even in the garden, is dependent on being transformed by God's own life. And so in the center of the Garden of Eden, God places the tree of life and continued eating from it would enable man's life to be renewed. Adam and Eve would by faith eat the fruit of the tree of life. And as they did, they would be renewed by the gift of God's own life so they could participate in eternal life. Is anyone picking up the gospel allusions in this text, in this picture already? Now, I really want you to get this today because I don't want you to go thinking that this like fruit of the tree of life is like an elixir of life or it's like a philosopher's stone or it's like, you know, something that we're all in an Indiana Jones movie. And if we go find the tree of life and eat its fruit, we'll live forever. That's not the point of this text. This fruit in itself doesn't have some magical power that enables Adam and Eve to live forever. The power is not in the fruit, but what the fruit represented. You see, Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of life the way you and I eat communion. In fact, eating the fruit was like the first communion ever taken. Because just like you and I, by faith, take the bread and the wine to represent our communion, our fellowship, our proximity to God, and our transformation from death to life by the gift of His Son, Jesus. So Adam and Eve took the fruit of the tree of life to represent their proximity to God and their transformation by His life. See, eating of the tree of life was not about any life that was found in the tree. It was about the life that was found in the presence of God. Because did you notice that he put the tree in the center of the garden, in the holy of holies? In other words, to go get the fruit, you had to go get the presence. You couldn't get the fruit without entering into the presence of God. And so eating the fruit actually tells us that our transformation is about our proximity. Do you get that this morning? Our transformation into Christ's likeness, our transformation into who we were created to be is about our proximity, our nearness and closeness to God. There is no transformation without proximity. That is what the tree of life metaphor is all about. It's telling us in this place, if you want to be transformed, if you want to become the person that God created you to be, then you need to get in the presence. Because transformation is all about proximity to God. Now, what's fascinating is you come to the book of Proverbs, and in Proverbs, you find four different Proverbs which describe something as a tree of life. Now, think about this for a second. If the tree of life metaphor is all about coming into God's presence that enable me to transform, that means that Proverbs is describing four things that enable us to come into God's presence and be transformed. Four keys that enable us to come into God's presence and then be transformed. I kind of want to know what those four keys are. Let's go through them for a second. The first thing that Proverbs describes as a book of life is a, a book of life. A tree of life. I was going so quick you didn't even notice my slip. I'll slow down a bit, shall I? All right, I will. I'm just very excited this morning. I moved house yesterday. I've had a lot of caffeine this morning. 
We're going at a million miles an hour. I'm so sorry. The 9am service is like, whoa, don't get this girl back again, you know? (laughs) Just joking. All right, Proverbs 3 verses 13 to 18 says this, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. First thing that Proverbs describes as a tree of life is wisdom. Wisdom is a tree of life. And I think it's quite fascinating that the first thing mentioned as being a tree of life is wisdom. Because when you think about it, the choice that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden was a choice between knowledge and wisdom. Have you noticed that? It's a choice between the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil or the choice between wisdom. You see, knowledge says man defines what prospers life and destroys life, but wisdom says only God can define what prospers life and what destroys life. Knowledge says I will define for myself what good and evil is. Wisdom says I trust God to define what good and evil is. Knowledge says I know best. Wisdom says God knows best. And ultimately, this is the choice that Adam and Eve have in the Garden of Eden. By choosing the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they are choosing to define life for themselves. They are choosing to define good for themselves. They're saying, God, I'm going to leave your definition behind. I want to define for myself what a good and a prosperous life is. And that sounds like a good idea until we get to the reality of it. Because we live in the reality of a world that is man's own making. We live in a world that testifies about what happens when man chooses to define good and evil for itself. And it's not that good, hey? War, famine, sickness, disease, none of these things existed in the Garden of Eden. They are the results of the decision that man made to try and define good and evil for himself. See, the reality is that only God has the ability to create a garden paradise such as Eden. But the cost of such a paradise is submission to the owner. Proverbs 9.10 puts it like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is a tree of life because wisdom submits to God. It places us in proximity to Him and allows us to be transformed by His life Wisdom is a tree of life. Here's a takeaway point. I will choose wisdom over knowledge. Oof, that one ministered to me this morning. I will choose wisdom over knowledge. Thank you, Jesus. Secondly, righteous people are a tree of life. Righteous people are a tree of life. Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. And what this text is telling us, it's telling us that surrounding yourself with fruitful believers is going to help you get closer to God and to be transformed by His life. Notice that I said fruitful believers. That's the key here. Surround yourself with some believers who are not just paying lip service to God, but whose lives are bearing fruit. Don't just surround yourself with believers who have a lot of knowledge or who are good at talking the talk. Don't even just surround yourself with believers who have amazing worship moves and make a super spiritual face during worship. (laughs) You know the one, don't laugh. Surround yourself with believers who are bearing fruit. 
Look for fruit, follow the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, follow the fruit. Don't just follow the talk, don't just follow the knowledge, don't just follow the ideas, don't just follow the lip service, follow the fruit. Surround yourself with believers who are bearing fruit and Proverbs tells us that will draw you closer to God and help you be transformed by His life. Friend, if you're looking in this place to transform your life, the first place you should look is your friend group. Are your friends bearing the type of fruit that you want to bear in your life? Because the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Here's your takeaway. I will surround myself with people who bear the fruit of righteousness. Number three, fulfilled longing is a tree of life. This is a good one. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You just stop right there and let that one sit. Hope deferred does make the heart sick, doesn't it? But a longing fulfilled is described as a tree of life. Have you ever noticed that in life it's so much easier to accept a quick no than a prolonged maybe? (laughs) Have you noticed that? Sometimes in life it's so much easier to accept just a quick no than a prolonged maybe. Maybe it's coming. Maybe it's around the bend. Maybe not just quite yet. I know many in this room have faced the pain of disappointment, the pain of a deferred hope, and that's what the scripture is speaking about. It's when the thing that you're hoping for keeps getting pushed back and back and back and back. You're hoping it comes to pass, it keeps getting pushed back. You keep facing repeated disappointment, and Proverbs says that that situation makes your heart sick. In other words, it erodes the health of your inner life. It's interesting, isn't it, that Proverbs calls the opposite of that, a fulfilled longing, a tree of life. Because when something you have waited for is fulfilled, that thing feels like a tree of life. It brings you closer to God and allows you to be transformed by His life. Man, I remember um, watching the video of when you guys announced Boston's birth, uh, that he was conceived to this church, and the way you guys all erupted. Far out, that thing was a tree of life to me, and I just watched the video, you know? Because a fulfilled longing is a tree of life, eh? But what happens when the longings seem to go unfulfilled? How do we deal with that? Well, the only way to deal with that, friend, is to know and trust that in Christ all desire will be fulfilled either on earth or in eternity. Because the Garden of Eden is by design a place of fulfilled desire. There's no longing in eternity. There's no deferred hope in eternity. There's only hope realized. And because of this, I think the scripture points forward to new creation to heaven, to eternity, where all of our longings and desires are fulfilled. Revelation 22, verse 1 to 2, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. I want you to notice that when God describes new creation, He describes it as a garden city, on top of a mountain, from which flows a river with a tree of life at the center. Similar to how Eden was a garden temple on top of a mountain, from which flowed a river which had a tree of life at its center. Perhaps this proverb is pointing us forward to the hope of new creation. Because hear me today, if you're in this place and you're struggling with unfulfilled longing or desire, you can be assured that all your longings and desires will be fulfilled in the paradise 
the Eden that is new creation. In that place, all longings and desires will be fulfilled, and that fulfilled longing will be unto you like a tree of life. Here's your takeaway point. I will trust Jesus to fulfill all my longings. I will trust Jesus to fulfill all my longings. All right, let's go to the last one. A soothing tongue, it says, is a tree of life. Proverbs 15, 4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Words have either the power to hurt or heal, don't they? Negative words have the power to crush spirits. But healing words, Proverbs tells us, are a tree of life. They have the power to draw people towards God. Healing words have the power to be transformative, to call people towards Christ's likeness. And I want you to think for a second, not just of the words that you speak over other people, but the words that you speak over you. (laughs) Are you aware that your words have the power to break down or build up you? What are you speaking over you? What are you confessing over you? What are you thinking about you? Because your words over yourself have the power to break down or they have the power to build up. And actually, Proverbs tells us they have the power, get this, to pull you towards transformation. They have the power to pull you towards Christ-likeness. And so what are you confessing over you? Is your speech over yourself in line with what the enemy would say about you or what God would say about you? Oh, I want to preach it for a second. Are you confessing in your words? Are you coming into alignment with the enemy's plans for your life or God's plans for your life? Because your words have the power to pull you towards Christ's likeness, pull you towards, harness the power of your tongue. Think about the reality of the power that you have sitting in your mouth. Are your words breaking you down or building you up? Because the reality is Proverbs says that your words have the power to position you close in proximity to God, which will enable Christ's likeness in you. I'm going to invite the band up. Here's your takeaway point. I will speak healing words over myself and others. Oh, thank you, Lord. I will, in Jesus' name, speak healing words over myself and others. I will affirm who Christ says I am. I will affirm the plan that God has for my life. See, I find it really interesting that the story of the Bible starts with a garden paradise, a temple garden on top of a mountain from which flows a river with a tree of life in the middle. And it ends with a restored paradise, a world renewed after the fall of man, which looks like a garden city on top of a mountain from which flows a river with a tree of life in the center. And the reason I think that that's interesting is that in between, in the middle of those two bookends, starting and finishing with a tree of life, there's another tree, isn't there? There's another mountain on which stood another tree. This tree stood on top of Mount Calvary, and it looked like a tree of death, but in reality, it was a tree of life. That tree of life was the one on which hung our Savior, Jesus, the one who hung and died on Calvary's tree and was raised to newness of life so that everyone who receives his life will also receive eternal life. Friend, that picture of the tree of life in Genesis was always pointing to the picture of Christ on Calvary's tree. Just as Jesus said, he is the vine and we are the branches. He is the life that enables us to live forever. He is the one we symbolically eat and drink of in order to be transformed unto eternal life. 
And just like the fruit of life, the tree of life represented that proximity to God and our transformation by His life, so our communion as we come around the table represents our proximity to Jesus, that He's not far off, that He's near, and we're transformed by His life. Today I feel to remind you that you're being transformed by His life. Today, you and I are going to eat from the fruit of the vine and eat of the bread to represent our proximity to Jesus and our transformation by His life. We're taking communion today.